Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Law School of America. Where two or more persons are liable in respect of the same liability, in most common law legal systems they may either be jointly liable, or severally liable, or jointly and severally liable. Joint liability. If parties have joint liability, then they are each liable up to the full amount of the relevant obligation. So if a married couple takes a loan from a bank, the loan agreement will normally provide that they are to be jointly liable for the full amount. If one party dies, disappears, or is declared bankrupt, the other remains fully liable. Accordingly, the bank may sue all living co-promisers for the full amount. However, in suing, the creditor has only one cause of action, for example, the creditor can sue for each debt only once. If, for example, there are three partners, and the creditor sues all of them for the outstanding loan amount and one of them pays the liability, the creditor cannot recover further amounts from the partners who did not contribute to the liability. Several liability. The converse is several or proportionate liability, where the parties are liable for only their respective obligations. A common example of several liability is in syndicated loan agreements, which will normally provide that each bank is severally liable for its own part of the loan. If one bank fails to advance its agreed part of the loan to the borrower, then the borrower can sue only that bank, and the other banks in the syndicate have no liability. Joint and several liability. Under joint and several liability or all sums, a claimant may pursue an obligation against any one party as if they were jointly liable and it becomes the responsibility of the defendants to sort out their respective proportions of liability and payment. This means that if the claimant pursues one defendant and receives payment, that defendant must then pursue the other obligors for a contribution to their share of the liability. Joint and several liability is most relevant in tort claims, whereby a plaintiff may recover all the damages from any of the defendants regardless of their individual share of the liability. The rule is often applied in negligence cases, though it is sometimes invoked in other areas of law. In the United States, 46 of the 50 states have a rule of joint and several liability, although in response to tort reform efforts, some have limited the applicability of the rule. About two dozen have reformed the rule, with several. Alaska, Arizona, Kansas, Utah, Vermont, Oklahoma, and Wyoming, abolishing. In some instances, it is abolished except where the defendants act in concert. Variations Some jurisdictions have imposed limits on joint and several liability, but without completely abolishing that doctrine. For example, in Ohio only defendants who are responsible for more than 50% of the tortious conduct can be held jointly and severally liable for economic losses. A defendant who bears responsibility for an injury but whose tortious conduct was less than 50% is only responsible for his or her share of the plaintiff's economic loss. Non-economic losses, such as pain and suffering or loss of companionship, can only be assigned proportionately. California allows joint and several liability but only for economic damages. Hawaii allows joint and several liability for all economic losses but only for non-economic losses when the underlying tort is intentional, related to environmental pollution or selected other classes. Examples 
If Ann is struck by a car driven by Bob, who has served alcohol in Charlotte's Bar, and the state has dram shop laws, then both Bob and Charlotte's Bar may be held jointly liable for Ann's injuries. If the jury determines Ann should be awarded $10 million and that Bob was 90% at fault and Charlotte's Bar 10% at fault. Under several or proportionate liability, Bob would have to pay $9 million, 90% of $10 million, and Charlotte's Bar would have to pay $1 million, 10% of $10 million. If Bob does not have any money and is uninsured, Anne will only recover whatever some Charlotte's Bar and or her insurance provider are able to pay, up to the limit of any liability insurance policy Charlotte may have, plus her own ability to pay, if any, or $1 million, whichever is less. Under joint liability, Anne may recover the full damages from either of the defendants. If Anne sued Charlotte's Bar alone, Charlotte's Bar would be liable for the full $10 million despite only being 10% at fault for the injury. If Charlotte's Bar had an insurance policy with a liability limit of less than $10 million, the bar would remain liable for any amount over and above the policy limit. Charlotte would have to join Bob as defendant in Anne's suit against her. With joint and several liability, if Charlotte's Bar paid the full award of damages, Charlotte's Bar could pursue a separate contribution action against Bob for $9 million. Regardless of the outcome of a contribution action, Charlotte's Bar would remain liable to Anne for the full $10 million. Joint and several liability can make a defendant liable for the full amount of damages suffered by a plaintiff even if that defendant bears only slight fault for the injury. For example, if a child is injured due to the negligence of a crossing guard employed by a school district, and a court finds the crossing guard to be 99% at fault for the child's injury and the school district to be only 1% at fault, the school district would be liable to pay 100% of the damages. In contrast, under several liability, if the crossing guard was unable to pay money toward the judgment the most that the injured child could recover would be 1% of the judgment from the school district. Arguments for and against joint and several liability Joint and several liability is premised on the theory that the defendants are in the best position to apportion damages amongst themselves. Once liability has been established and damages awarded, the defendants are free to litigate amongst themselves to better divide liability. The plaintiff no longer needs to be involved in the litigation and can avoid the cost of continuing litigation. As each defendant has contributed to a single result, the injury of the plaintiff, although there may be differences in the character or scope of their duties, it may be argued that their joint contribution to the single result prevents any reasonable division of the damages. Although one defendant may end up paying more than that defendant tortfeasor's proportionate share of the damages, it is nonetheless thought that it is better for a culpable defendant to overpay that defendant's share of the damages than for the injured plaintiff to be undercompensated for the injury. Where a financially wealthy party can be named or joined as a defendant, a plaintiff has a greater chance of recovering damages than when the defendants have very limited economic resources or are financially insolvent, or judgment-proof. Opponents of the principle of joint and several liability argue that its use is unfair to many defendants. Joint and several liability will lead to cases in which a party who has a very small share of the responsibility for a plaintiff's injury may unfairly shoulder the burden of paying all of the damages. When defendants may be held jointly liable, the plaintiff may seek out a defendant with considerable resources, deep pockets, to add to a case hoping that the defendant will be found to be even 1% to 2% liable for the injury and thus be obligated to pay the entire judgment. For example, where an uninsured drunk driver causes an accident that results in injury, the plaintiff may sue an additional defendant, along with a drunk driver, such as suing the state highway department alleging that a highway defect contributed to the accident, 
hoping that the additional defendant will be found partly responsible. Microfinance In trying to achieve its aim of alleviating poverty, microfinance often lends to groups of poor, with each member of the group jointly liable. That means that each member is responsible for ensuring that all the other members of the group repay too. If one member fails to repay, the members of the group are also held in default. Joint liability solves the information and enforcement problems associated with credit markets by encouraging screening, monitoring, costly state verification, and contract enforcement. Now a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America Comparative responsibility, known as comparative fault in some jurisdictions, is a doctrine of tort law that compares the fault of each party in a lawsuit for a single injury. Comparative responsibility may apply to intentional torts as well as negligence and encompasses the doctrine of comparative negligence. Comparative responsibility divides the fault among parties by percentages, and then accordingly divides the money awarded to the plaintiff. The plaintiff may only recover the percentage of the damages he is not at fault for. If a plaintiff is found to be 25% at fault, he can recover only 75% of his damages. There are several circumstances that make comparative responsibility intricate, when the plaintiff shares in fault for the damages, when a defendant who has a share of the fault cannot be included in the suit, when one of the defendants cannot pay, and when there are charges of both negligence and intentional torts in the same action. United States Currently, only Alabama, Maryland, and the District of Columbia will not allow plaintiff to recover if it is proven to be in any way at fault. This rule is called contributory negligence, a doctrine perceived to be overly harsh, which has caused all but a few states to substitute the doctrine of comparative negligence. Most states will follow one of three solutions to the problem. 1. Allow the plaintiff to recover the amount of total damages to him, reduced by the percentage of fault he is assigned. 2. Allow the plaintiff to recover only if he was an equal or lower percentage at fault than each defendant. Plaintiff's recovery is reduced as in a. 3. Allow the plaintiff to recover only if he was less at fault than each of the defendants. Plaintiff's recovery again reduced as above. Another situation is where a defendant apportioned some fault cannot pay his portion of the damages. States will cover this situation differently. There are four options. 1. The plaintiff will not recover from this defendant, and the other defendants will be responsible only for their share. Thirteen states follow this approach. The next three options involve the doctrine of joint and several liability. 2. Any of the other defendants can be held responsible for the unpaid share. Fifteen states follow this approach, ten contributory responsibility, five which still follow contributory negligence. 3. The unpaid share will be reapportioned among the other defendants, according to their percentages. Some states hold that only defendants above a specific percentage will share. 4. The unpaid share will be reapportioned among the defendants and plaintiff according to each party's percentage share. Third, is the issue of when one defendant is not present, the same options as above are present. However, there is the initial question of whether to allow the fault of an absent defendant to be considered. 
states, again, are split on these issues. Lastly, there is the issue of negligence and intentional torts in a single lawsuit. Courts, in the majority, do not apply comparative responsibility to intentional torts. However, some courts apply comparative responsibility to intentional torts. The law and academia on this issue is very complex, but typically support holding intentional tort feasors in a suit subject to joint and several liability. Further, any negligent tortfeasor who negligently failed to protect the plaintiff from the intentional tortfeasor will be jointly and severally liable for the portion of the intentional tortfeasor's fault. This view is supported by the restatement, third, of torts, apportionment of liability section 1. Even more complicated is the issue of whether comparative fault should be allowed in strict liability actions. Most jurisdictions, starting with California, which also pioneered strict liability for defective products, have held that the jury should be allowed to apportion fault between plaintiffs and defendants even in strict products liability actions. The restatement, third, of torts, section 25, reflects the current majority view that comparative negligence applies to the strict liability of the defendant. Market share liability is a legal doctrine that allows a plaintiff to establish a prima facie case against a group of product manufacturers for an injury caused by a product even when the plaintiff does not know from which defendant the product originated. The doctrine is unique to the law of the United States and apportions liability among the manufacturers according to their share of the market for the product giving rise to the plaintiff's injury. Origins Market share liability was introduced in the California case Sindel v. Abbott Laboratories. In Sindel, the plaintiffs were injured by day, a drug prescribed to prevent miscarriage. The mothers of the plaintiffs had taken day while pregnant and expert testimony showed this to be a proximate cause of reproductive tract cancers in the plaintiffs years later. The plaintiffs, however, could not ascertain which drug company distributed the day taken by their mothers. The court responded by allowing the plaintiffs to apportion liability among the defendant drug companies according to their respective shares in the day market. Requirements Sindel laid out the requirements for applying the doctrine of market share liability. First, the defendants in court must constitute substantially all of the market. This is a distinguishing factor from alternative liability that requires that all of the defendants be in court. Having substantially all of the market makes it more likely that the actual wrongdoer will be in court. A main reason for not requiring all of the relevant market is that as time passes, some manufacturers drop out of the market, and it would raise the bar for the plaintiff too high. Also, if all defendants were present, then market share liability would be unnecessary, because the plaintiff would be able to apply the doctrine of alternative liability to put the burden of proving causation onto the defendants. Second, the products must be fungible for example, interchangeable, they must be of the same composition. For example, in Skipworth v. Lead Industries Association, 1997, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court held that the lead paint the defendants sold was not fungible because the paints had lead pigments containing different chemical formulations, different amounts of lead, and differed in potential toxicity. Third, the defendants, potential tort feasors, must all have been in the market within the specific time frame surrounding the incident. Fourth, the inability to point to a specific tort feasor must not be the plaintiff's fault. This is particularly relevant in the pharmaceuticals context as most plaintiffs are prescribed generic drugs and thus have no knowledge of who manufactured the product. Exculpatory Evidence Jurisdictions and courts differ on the possibilities open to defendants to absolve themselves of market share liability. In Sindel, California, 
The court allowed defendants to bring forth exculpatory evidence and thus free themselves of liability. However, in Himowitz v. Eli Lilly and Company, New York, the court refused to allow exculpatory evidence because it felt that doing so would undermine the theory underpinning market share liability, because liability is based on relevant market share, providing exculpatory evidence will not reduce a defendant's overall share of the market. Subsequent Cases Sindel required plaintiffs to join defendant drug companies in a single action. A Wisconsin court took a different approach on this issue in Collins v. Eli Lilly Company in Collins. The court found that the plaintiff could bring a cause of action against a single defendant, and the burden of proof would be shifted to the defendant to show that they did not produce the date taken by the plaintiff's mother. Efforts to expand the market share approach beyond date cases have been mostly rejected because of the strict requirements of applying market share liability. Courts have declined to expand the market share approach to asbestos, Becker v. Barron Brothers, handguns, Hamilton v. Beretta, and lead paint. Santiago v. Sherwin-Williams Company. The market share approach has been expanded to cases involving MTBE in the New York case and remethyl tertiary butyl ether. The Law School of America. This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. (laughs) 